And hopefully the Holy Spirit will, I know he's willing, and the flesh is weak, but he's willing that we actually apply the things that we're learning. Amen? Let's ask the Lord for more of that grace. Heavenly Father, now would you settle our hearts, focus our mind on the word of God, and breathe through your word, Lord, into our hearts, and give us understanding so that we can be a blessing to you and blessing to others and, and enjoy the benefits of putting these things into practice, not just knowing about them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've been served up a proverbial feast of wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And tonight in chapter uh, 30, uh, we get some more uh, great wisdom more of a delicious feast, but there's going to be a guest chef in the kitchen because these words are not going to be served from King Solomon's table, but from another sage's kitchen, if you will. So uh, no worries because anybody writing scripture has the master chef controlling and guiding them, all right? So you know that it's actually the Holy Spirit. Uh, The men hold the pen, but the spirit within gives them utterance. And so it's the God-breathed scriptures that we look at tonight. Uh, Now, this, um, the author of chapter 29, we don't know. Here's the sayings of Agur, son of J.K., An oracle, an oracle just means like a little sermon. Here it comes, chapter 29, chapter 30, I should say. This man declared to Ithiel, to Ithiel and to Ucal. Now, if you're looking for baby names, mom and dad, um, (laughs) Agur, I don't know, Jakay, Ithiel, not so bad, right? Ucal, I don't know about Ucal. It means power means power, so we could um, look at that again. Now, uh, here's a shout-out, actually, right here in the beginning, back to Solomon, and an observation about wisdom, because wisdom makes room for others. Doesn't King Solomon has wisdom, and uh, the Lord told him, you're going to be the smartest guy on the planet, and nobody will ever be as smart as you, but he makes room. He makes room for other people uh, to use their gifts, and he sees them as equally inspired as he can be. And so that's 
what James tells us wisdom is. It's got humility about it. So we don't know anything about these men's, uh, these, their names. <laughs> we don't know anything uh, who they are. They're only mentioned here. And uh, that also tells me something. You know what? God has his Elijahs and his Elishas. And he has his King Davids and his King Solomon. And then he has the little widow who everybody knows about, who put in, tossed in a couple coins that we all know about, a little hero. And we have Anna in the temples prophesying. We have people who are just ordinary people. And, And really, these guys are ordinary guys who apparently were knocking, seeking, and, and uh, asking of the Lord, and the Lord answered. And so that's another, just a shout out to say, uh, if uh, God uses ordinary people, you don't have to be somebody significant. You can just be yourself. Amen? Amen. And you can just be an ager <laughs> or a UCAL. <laughs> so as we get started, now this guy, he's, he's not a one or two sentence guy. He's like a four or three or four or five sentence proverb guy. And he likes lists. He likes to play around with numbers. Uh, He's going to have a little shout out to uh, troubled spots. Uh, He's going to lament over some social chaos. And uh, he's going to start out by saying, look how, if you want to be smart, you've got to understand how ignorant you really are without the Lord. And here are his words. I'm the most ignorant of men. Now, the, and I, uh, the, one of the versions has stupid there uh, because that's exactly what it means. It means dense and, and slow to learn, a, a willful ignorance. I'm the most ignorant of men. I don't have a man's understanding. This is a smart guy. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One, of, the, of God. Who's gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered up the wind in the hollow of his hands? Who has wrapped up the waters in his cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and the the name of his son? Tell me if you're so smart. If you say you know, right? And so we begin here with the beginning of wisdom. Step one for wisdom, and even more importantly for me, step one to the gospel you will never wind up in heaven until you realize and you come to the end of yourself and you realize, I don't have all the answers. I've gotten myself into a big mess. I need the Lord. And so, you know, uh, the New Testament helps us. Quoting the Old Testament, uh, Paul says, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. We've all turned away. And together, we've become worthless without the the hand of the Lord upon our lives. There is no one who does good, no, not even one. And so it's just smart to, to acknowledge that as far as spiritual insights are concerned, Uh, We cannot save ourselves. We cannot know who God is unless God reaches down, intervenes, and helps us and gives us that power and ability. And so verses 2 and 3, really, he's saying without being born again, as Jesus put it, unless the Spirit of God kind of cut into your life, really, he says, I'm just uh, like an animal, Just I I don't have a a spirit. I have a soul, 
and I have a body, but I'm not alive to, to God. I'm not connected to life. Um, I'm guided by my lower passions uh, and my instincts without moral sensitivity. That's who I am. Like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the very things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. Because it's one vicious merry-go-round. Every time I want to do good, I recognize one thing. Evil is right there with me. All of the time. He says, who will save me from this body of death? What a wretched man I am. So you've got the New Testament version of what this wise man in the Old Testament is saying. Listen, <laughs> we are messed up and we need the inter- intervention of God if we, have, if we are going to have any hope at all. And he calls himself just a brute beast, like an animal, just like a pit bull. You know, a pit bull could be cute and cuddly and very obedient, but just one wrong move and somebody's dead. And then he says, you know, don't, do not, if you, if you, <laughs> all emails to Pastor Carlin at CC The Rock. If you love pit bulls or dogs or whatever, just Pastor Carlin wants to hear from you. <laughs> so he says, I'm clueless, I'm helpless. I'm doomed without God. And so here's some five sarcastic questions, you know, just to put in check the person who's saying, I'm not that bad. I'm kind of smart. I kind of got it together. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. He says, I got five questions for you to help you. So here comes some holy sanctified sarcasm. Uh, Who has gone up to heaven and come down? You? Yeah, no, the answer, no one. All right, so that presupposes that all the wisdom and the saving power is in heaven, and you would have to go up there to know God and to be saved. So uh, when did you do that? You know, did you get up there? It's saying the only way this is going to work is if God comes down, and that's exactly what the Bible teaches. Jesus said in John chapter 6, I have come down from heaven to give my life a ransom uh, for many. And so Jesus is the one who comes down and goes up again. Uh, But nobody else can do that. Question two, you you who think you're all that, uh, who controls the weather? You know, who who can tell the wind uh, how to behave? Not a man. Only God can grab the wind and direct it. And in Mark chapter 4, coming up in a few weeks, we're going to see Jesus, the God-man, do just that. Question three, along the same lines, who's bound up the waters in his cloak? It's just a poetic way of saying, who's infused the clouds with rainwater? Who does this? I mean, tell me, I mean, can you do that? I mean, that's just a real amazing shout out to the Lord. Uh, not any human being can answer to these questions. And so, you know, that reminded me of Job. And that's why we started with that reading. Because in Job chapters 38 to 42, he, did, he doesn't stop with the clouds. He starts asking Job questions like, you know, can you call the stars out? A star, call a star. And he says, I know them all by name since I made them. And I call and they come and I hold them together in their orbits 
Wow, you know, do you feed the sparrows? Do you teach eagles how to soar? Do you limit the ocean tides to their designated places? Do you store up the snow and the hail? Do you help mountain goats give birth? Do you open your hand and satisfy the longings of every living thing? Psalm 145. Until you can do that, I mean, seriously. You know, question four, along the same lines, have you established, uh, you know, who has established the earth? Did, you know, did God say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm creating the planet earth. Can you lend me a hand? He, 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 he didn't ask to borrow any of your tools. And, uh, you know, that's just the funny thing about it is when we have humility, he brings us in and he lifts us up. But when we have pride and exalt ourselves, then he starts asking the questions. Okay, smarty pants, let me ask you a few questions, right? But when we get to our humble place, he says, I call you my friend. You're a friend of God. And he lifts up those who humble themselves. But that's not the case uh, until you do and take your place. And so here's what he's saying. He's just saying, you know, uh, and then he says, well, what's his name? And here's what he means by that. He's saying, if you know his name, you could tell me all about him. That means you know the, the infinite recesses of God's mind and his intention and his will. They didn't even know his name. Hebrew doesn't have vowels that stand alone vowels. Um, and so it could be Yahweh, it could be Yehovah. Uh, Jews today even don't want to say his name, G-D, right? Because it's secret. And so to say, do you, do you know his name? Oh, yeah, I could tell you all about him. His name is, you know, so it's just saying, listen, even when we know Yahweh, even when we know Jesus, oh, we know about this much <laughs> compared to He's just asking for humility. And then a prophetic shout out. He says, and tell me the name of his son. Whoa. So the Holy One has a son. Well, see, the idea, even in the Old Testament, is if we're ever going to know God, he's going to have to incarnate himself into one of us. us. The Son of God could tell us who God is. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, all things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father. Check this out. It's exactly what he's saying. And no one knows the Father except the Son and to those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see? So Jesus is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. And so he's just saying, hey, just admit it, man. You don't know a lot. You need the Lord. That's what he's saying. Uh, that's wisdom. 5 and 6. Now every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't add to his words or he'll rebuke you and prove you a liar. Now, this is a natural flow of thought from, do you know who God is? Do you know his son? Well, uh, it's hard to know these things unless God uh, has reached out to us. And he has by leaving us his word, giving us his word. And so God has provided a way out of spiritual ignorance, a way to know him. And he says, 
His word. His word is flawless. It's, it means tried and true as through fire. It means every word of God will come to pass. It means every promise in the book, that's for you. Not all the promises are for you. Some are for Israel, right? And some have general wider application to us as the church. But those promises are good. Not one will ever fail. You see, that's what he says. It's dependable and trustworthy, flawless, nothing deceitful or false. So the second clause there is natural, therefore, safe to take refuge in the Lord. It's safe to bank on all the promises. When he says, listen, (laughs) old things have passed away. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. If he says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you better take that one to the bank. Because he does not stand against you since you've come to Christ. And so it's safe. You won't be left hanging is the meaning of that. Uh, Verse 6 is the progressive, new, uh, hipster version of the gospel. Don't add to it. Don't, Don't say, this is what Jesus really meant. You know, I'm amazed at how many words it takes to explain away the simple meaning of the text as it is, right? And so he's saying, don't add, don't say God is really saying this when he's not because uh, you're going to get into some trouble. You know, don't explain away. This is what Romans 1 really means. And this is what Jesus meant when he said perishing or hell, all of that. So the Holy Spirit anticipated that guys would come along with more words outside of the boundaries of truth and the gospel. He says, don't do that. Don't do that. Introducing ideas in Jesus' name that go beyond the bounds of biblical orthodoxy is inciting God to publicly rebuke you while defending his own truth, said one writer. Verses 7 through 9. Okay, here comes a prayer. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Don't refuse me before I die. (laughs) Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. And so he switches gears. The prayer is for a couple things, honesty and contentment, a balanced life when it comes to finances and material goods. Um, two different areas, but potentially these two areas uh, can make or break you, right? So very New Testament of him to start talking about daily bread. Um, somebody else told us we should be concerned primarily with our daily necessities. Go ahead and ask him to supply what you need today. And don't worry about tomorrow. It'll take care of itself. Just live because you'll be in tomorrow. And when tomorrow gets there, you can ask him for your daily bread. And guess what? He'll provide again. But don't worry about the next day because you're not in that day. Amen? Amen. All right. That's a start. That's a start. So two things, Lord, I beg you. I beg you. Don't refuse me. Let me have these two requests before I die. First, I just don't want to be a fraud, a liar, a fake, a deceiver. It's the ugliest, nastiest thing in the whole world. It's the most debilitating of all sins to the human psyche is to be a liar. 
to your own soul and the damage it does. And he's saying, just before I die, I just want a long spurt of, of being honest. Not, not an awkwardly TMI kind of honest, neurotic kind of thing. He's not saying that. He's saying, I just want to be a genuine, broken, uh, transparent lover of Christ without manipulating and, and, and exaggerating and, and, and hiding and doing all of this stuff. He says, oh, God, before I die, oh, I want to be an honest man. Oh, we're as debilitating as dishonesty is to the soul, truthfulness is as liberating. You'll know truth and your heart will be all set free. That's what he's saying. And then he, and then he, then secondly, he says, help me with contentment. Contentment with you, you know, your, your name, my relationship with you. Help me with my daily necessities. He, he, so he says, don't let me be dirt poor, all right? Keep me from that kind of poverty. And, and don't let me be uber rich either because both come with inherent temptation. So he says, the first thing, if I'm like dirt desperation poor, it'll tempt me to be desperate and do the wrong thing and to sin or to steal and dishonor your name. I like what one commentator said about that. He said, we find that the poverty excuse that some might give to justify their thievery is actually a poverty brought on by their own foolish mismanagement of their own resources. Agar, of course, is not saying he'd be justified. He's saying, I don't even want the idea to have to come into my head. So lead me in this way, he's saying. So then the crazy prayer, the prayer that no contemporary westernized American probably has or will ever pray. And here it is. Under no circumstances, God, make me super rich. Under no circumstances, Lord, do not let me be super rich because you know me and I know me and it will spoil me. It'll make me, I'll be distracted. I'll be off building my houses and, and I'll be just, you know, tweaking out a little money for you here and there, but I'll lose my focus. I'll grow soft. Do not let me become too rich. Oh, that is not our culture. And, and this is a chapter and a verse that no televangelist can ever preach because all he's ever telling you is God wants you to be wealthy. You know, God wants you to be rich. Did you like that? Come on. That was kind of funny. That sounded a little too real. <laughs> How can you preach that God wants you to be uber rich when somebody who's one of the smartest guys in the world says, dear God, keep me from that? How do you get it both ways? You're not supposed to be praying Jabez's prayer 30 times a day so you can get more, more, more. What an embarrassment, Jabez's prayer. Jabez had a prayer, and then we find out, well, maybe if we pray it, we'll get more, more, more too, and we'll steward it all for the kingdom. Ask 
This wise guy, he says, oh, no, you won't. Maybe one or two of you would. But he knows our hearts. And I can tell this is hard for you. (laughs) All of you are like, once again, with that thinking look on your face. How sad. How sad that God's blessing has ruined people's lives. Not because God blessed them. Because they misappropriated the blessing of the Lord. He says, God, don't let that happen to me. Verse 10 is a solo. Do not slander a servant to his master, or he will curse you, and you'll pay for it. Now, here's what he's saying. Slander is not going to somebody. In this sense, think of it as a boss and a coworker, and you go to the boss, and you lie, or you gossip, or you bash their reputation for whatever twisted reason you have. We're not going to the boss and saying, you know, he's stealing from you, or he, he's not doing his job, or he's, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, something bad, constructive. That's not what we're talking about. He's saying, listen, you think because no one hears you slandering and getting somebody in trouble that they're not, it's not going to get back to them. Nine times out of ten, every negative word you've ever said about anybody gets right back to that person. Come on. Nine times out of ten. It's kind of a spiritual, supernatural thing. God just says, listen, you're going to get an email. Hey, did you say that about me? Or you're going to get a text that says, I can't believe you would do something like that. And how do they know? They just, God just says, look. Don't do it because you're going to get in trouble by that guy or that gal. It just boomerang effect, 11 through 14. There are those uh, four, four kinds of people you want to not become and to avoid at all costs. There are those who curse their fathers and do not bless their mothers, one. Those who are pure in their own eyes and yet not cleansed of their own filth, two. Those whose eyes are ever so haughty, whose glances are so disdainful upon everybody else. Three. And lastly, those whose teeth are swords and whose jaws are set with knives to devour the poor from the earth, the needy from among mankind. Everybody in agreement of wanting to stay away from those kinds of people say amen. Amen. Me too. All right, four kinds of evil people to avoid. He says, number one, believe it or not, against all natural inclination, uh, and we're talking about godly parents, and even if we weren't, but the Bible assumes God-fearing parents when he talks like this, uh, despite the natural inclination of the human soul to love mommy and daddy, to appreciate 18, 20 years of investment, the common sense of it all, just the social etiquette, right? Despite the the fifth commandment, there are people out there who just despise their parents. They're ungrateful and they talk bad about them and uh, uh, it's, and they're disobedient and it's not a good thing. So avoid them and don't be that way. Uh, There are those who are wise in their own eyes. What does it say? Those who are pure in their own eyes. So self-righteous people are the biggest hypocrites on the planet. 
and, and because they're pointing the finger at you or the, the self-righteous Pharisee. Oh, look at you. And, and I mean, they want to condemn the woman caught in, in, in adultery. But Jesus says, oh, their hearts are overflowing, overflowing. Somebody said something smart here. Self-absorbed people who are in love with themselves have excused themselves from having to be cleansed from their sin since they're too proud to admit they have any at all. The third kind of person is the proud peacock who struts around with haughty eyes and kind of uh, sizing you up and giving you disdainful look or feeling like you don't measure up. And he says, that's just, just a nasty person that you want to stay away from. And fourthly, uh, those with razor-sharp teeth that just chew up people, uh, everyone in their path. They just cut into them. Oh, there, there are a lot of those kinds of people. And he says they particularly prey on the vulnerable. What a sad and list of deplorables. I don't mean anything by that word, deplorable. I don't care who you voted for. Deplorables. You, you guys watch the news? Okay. 15 through 16. The, oh, this is a fun one. The leech has two daughters. Give, give, they cry. There are three things here. It goes with the list now that are never satisfied, four that never say enough. The grave, the barren womb, land, which never has enough water, and fire, which never says enough. So the ethical instruction here is subtle. You have to do some thinking. And I'll help you with that at the end, but let's just go to the four constant consumers. Uh, first of all, he says, uh, these are things that are never satisfied and problematic to life. So if you're never satisfied, and there is something that is never satisfied that we're kind of going to get to, right? So he starts talking about the leech. Now, I didn't know this until I asked Siri. <laughs> but according to her, anyway, leeches have two suckers. And they have two daughters. And all they do is just drain and drain and drain. Now, I have a picture of it, but I decided not to use it because it's gross. <laughs> Amen, you're thanking me? <laughs> All right, yeah, you just had dinner, right? You don't need to see a leech. They're really uber ugly. It's my new word. Did you know that's borrowed from German? I didn't know that. Uber means over and beyond. I didn't know that. Google, Google is helping me. All right, the, um, so four, four things. Never satisfied. The grave. So I was at the cemetery as is part of my job, it seems. And I'm asking my friend who works there, um, how's business? <laughs> and I said, I said uh, that's a joke because, you know, it's pretty steady work, isn't it? And he laughed and he said, yeah, it's very steady. I'll never be out of a job. Yeah, that's because the grave is never full, never. And one day a trumpet will sound and for us, it'll be over, right? The rest of the world has something coming, but not the church. 
Uh, secondly, the woman who wants children and can't have them, it's just a constant longing. Um, the, the, thirdly, the ground, and we're talking uh, the Middle East there, desert that just never seems to get enough water, and it looks like it over there. And then fire by nature just rages and, and consumes, consumes, consumes everything in its path. The human soul is all of those things without God. It's hungering and lusting and craving and longing and wanting. And it has two daughters, give, give, give. And it gets and it's still saying, give, give, give. It'll drain the blood out of anything. But it won't satisfy until that God-shaped void has God entered into the equation. Here's what Jesus said. He said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. Jesus is the answer, and that really the subtle implication here is of man's inclination to covet and long for things until the soul meets God. It was Augustine, right? Third century, church father, and I quote him often this quote, our hearts are restless, O oh God. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. I love that quote. Jesus promised to put an end to that leech by filling our hearts with him, himself, and his love. Verse 17 the eye that <laughs> fasten your seatbelts. The eye that mocks a father that scorns obedience to a mother will be pecked out by the ravens of the valley, will be eaten by the vultures. So, mom and dad, the next time your kid rolls their eyes at you. <laughs> no, just kidding. Let me help you with this one. Mom and dad, in God's mind, represent him to the child. Mom and dad are, are his representatives. A good mom and dad, a godly mom and dad, right? And so to mock your father and, and be scornful of your mother and don't obey them, it's ultimately a rejection of God. So the question is, would anybody who hears my voice want to end up like this? The answer? No. no. Does it sound, it sounds particularly painful to me. He's making a point. If you start out the kind of person who rejects and scorns your parental authority, which ultimately is God's authority, you will, you're set on a path that will be very painful, and also you will become blind You'll not be able to see because when you're disconnected from God and truth and the love of your parents and the love of God, the eye, the eye is really the heart and the, and the mind. And so really it's a poetic way of saying you're going to lose your way and it's going to be very destructive and very painful. It's a fate you want to avoid. So start with mom and dad. Come under mom and dad because you're coming under God, ultimately. Verse 18. 
There are three things that are too amazing for me. Four that I don't understand. So that's the theme. I don't get it. I'm amazed. I'm wow. The way of an eagle in the sky, a way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship on the high seas, and the way of a man with a maiden. And so let's talk about this. So God's people are supposed to be people who like wonder and amazement. We're amazed. I mean, we look at the rainbow in the sky, or we just look at a, I was looking at a little, a, a leaf, and realizing all that's going on inside of the leaf is like a factory in there. There's just a wonderment about this world and about the human body on YouTube or on social media. You can see the development of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a single egg that gets fertilized and implanted in the womb, and hundreds of cells are dividing, and they're going to the brain, to the kidneys, and then in eight days, there's a little pulse of how. It's just, this is what he's saying. He's saying, there are some things about this world that I don't think I'll ever understand that just amaze me. And he starts with an eagle soaring in the sky. I've got a picture. Just like, what? Wow, God, that is amazing. Who tells that bird how to use the thermal updrafts and just how he's designed to the nth degree to, to soar just in that kind of majesty, you know? And then he says, the second thing that amazes me, have you ever seen a snake on a rock? And so, or up a tree. And he's saying, look, first of all, we've always been going back to the first slide, but you don't have to. The first idea is, how do birds fly? How do they use the, the, the magnetic uh, pull of the earth to migrate? How, how, do they, how do they do that? How do they travel 1,245 miles? There's one species of bird that does that without stopping from Africa to Europe. How? That's amazing to him, too. And then he goes to the snakes, and he says, creepy, but how is it climbing a tree? It doesn't have feet. It doesn't have little sucker cups. It's smooth on the bottom. It's smooth. So how is he cling? How does it cling to the tree or climb up rocks? He just is like, oh, that's amazing, God. I don't like it. I don't like snakes. But I have to admit, it's just really pretty intriguing. Number three, he says, a ship on the high seas. That's just a beautiful thing. I'm just pulling pictures. I don't have time to pick the best ones for you, you know. But I'm just saying, I just look at that and just say, do you know how much that thing weighs? What's that? How's that floating? I, I, I mean, do you know how many tons a cruise liner is? 60,000 tons. And it's floating on the water. Do you know how heavy one of those jumbo 777s are? It's like a building, and it's in the sky. <laughs> you know, you're, okay, fine. You're all more, you know, <laughs> advanced. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, so it's a plane. Yeah, let me open a science book for you, Pastor Ross. You know, I'm beyond that. I still look up and go, that is amazing. A guy on the moon, I see a full moon and think, we put a guy on there? Wow, that's just amazing. God, thank you for the technology to do that. And this is what he's talking about. Do not lose your wonder. 
some of your, it's number four. He says, but number four, he goes, marriage. He says, come on. We are two different species, almost. <laughs> we think differently. We feel differently about everything. You have two different separate human beings that are called to come together, and the two shall become one flesh. He says, it's amazing. The love that will turn a guy from this, this guy who's working underneath his car, he's all messed up, and then he gets all twitpated in his heart, and he turns into this knight in shining armor, and now suddenly wants to smell good and look good, <laughs> and look good, and he just, how does this happen? It is, he just thinks it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. Human sexuality as well. It's just that it's just an amazing thing that that is uh, keeps him uh, praising the Lord like a little kid. Yeah, you know, I saw a little kid. I told you about this. He's out on his belly in front, and he's yelling to me, "Come on over here, Pastor Ross! Come on over here, Pastor Ross!" And I was kind of like in one of those Sunday morning moods, like. <laughs> I got a sermon to preach, you know. So I went over, hey, what's up? You know, he's go, come on down here, look at this. I'm like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I get down on my hands and knees and I'm looking at some stupid bug, you know. <laughs> and, and the bug is doing a little dance and then the Lord's like, look at the bug. Ross, Pastor Ross. And so I started looking at the bug and he was like, kind of like, I made that bug. You know, and I, in my head, you know, and I'm just thinking, and it's delighting this kid, and he's wondering, look at this bug. And then I started getting excited about the bug. And I was just thinking, wow, did you notice this part of the bug? You know, just that's the point of this message he's saying. Could you just stop your nine-to-five mindset, your no nose to the grindstone, and look up at the stars? We're on a ball right now. We're on a ball hanging in space. Who's holding it up? Why isn't it falling it down somewhere? And, and, and the ball that you're on now is spinning very, very fast. And the whole ball is moving too. As it's spinning, it's moving too. And yet we're not moving and we're not dizzy. Well, most of us. Stop. Stop and enjoy the wonders of life. We're crying out loud, people. Moving on. Now, you think he's jumped ship of his last thought of amazing and wondrous things. He has not. As equally as amazing is this is the way of an adulteress she eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. Do you, you want to go wonder? Here you go. When it's done right, it's amazing. When it's done wrong, it's amazing. It's amazing that someone could not honor their vows, hurt somebody like that, all for self, and then avoid taking responsibility for it and not feel the sensitivity of the crime that they committed. Amazing. That's what he's saying. Next verse. 
Under three things, he's a lister. He loves lists. He's playing games. Under three and four, you know. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. A servant who becomes a king, a fool who's full of food, an unloved woman who's married, and a maidservant who displaces her mistress. So, just another one of God's little reminders about the foibles of human nature. Certain people who are suddenly elevated in their status in life can be unbearable. So it shakes up the order of life. Uh, A servant who becomes king, not every single servant who becomes king, but certain servants, certain servants who have a chip on their shoulder who have always been scheming, when I get to the top, man, oh, everybody's going to pay from my kindergarten teacher (laughs) to the lunch lady (laughs) to my cousin Alfred. (laughs) You know, when I get on top, I'll show. Mm, That's what he's talking about right there. So heads up around that kind of person. Um, A fool who's full of food is the obnoxious, self-absorbed person who becomes bored and full. Now they're louder and more obnoxious and looking to be more of a problem. And so the the bad temperament only... um, increases, more irritating, more overbearing, ah, more time on their hands. That's dangerous for you to be around them. The unloved married woman is a bit of a misnomer there because it, in the King James has it, right? But nobody knows what it means. <laughs> Odious. She's unloved. She's not unloved because, oh, poor thing, unloved. She's unloved because of her bad behavior, okay? She's made herself unlovable. And so all through life, she's had kind of a contemptuous kind of life, and then she marries, and it's time for revenge. That's the meaning. Sad to say. (laughs) An unloved woman who is married and a maidservant who displaces her mistress is um, kind of seen in Genesis, where was it, 16 and 21. Uh, Sometimes, back in early times, in ancient times, a woman, women had servant girls, and sometimes they got, you know, there was a lot of nastiness in between those women. And when the servant girl got elevated in any way, really, um, there were some problems. And so you saw that with uh, Hagar and Sarah. And so that's the gist of it. We're getting close to the end now, 24. Four things on earth are small, yet they're extremely wise. Ants, they're creatures of little strength, yet they store up their food in the summer. Conies are rock, they're rock badgers. Badgers are creatures of little power, yet they make their home in the crags and the clefts of the rocks. Locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. And a lizard, the word also can mean spider. <laughs> lizard or spider can be caught with a hand, yet it's found in king's palaces. So, here, he's saying, um, 
that's 24. He's saying um, it's encouraging to look around us at small and significant creatures and get some wisdom from them. Ants, number one. They're tireless. They know it's not going to be summer forever. And so they store up provisions. So the ant is wise because uh, they make provisions for themselves. Take a clue. Take, take your clue there. Two, the, the badgers are wise because of the protection they enjoy. Okay, They're small little animals, but they have enough sense to care about personal security. So thirdly, the locusts are wise because they, uh, they have partnership that they share. They're noted for their wisdom, that they cooperate together. And they don't seem to have a leader. Nobody organizes them. They just get the job done by cooperating together and going forward. And so lizards, let's call it a lizard, they're wise. You know, you could catch it, but, you know, they're, they're, they're so able to maneuver. And it's really a shout-out. Their wisdom is for persistence, patience, and perseverance. Uh, that, that they're so elusive and they're good at getting out of trouble and where they need to be, even, and they will not give up until where do they end up? <laughs> In the king's palace. And where are you going to end up? So you thought this was about a lizard? Uh huh. It's never about the lizard, it's always about the people of God. The people of God. The people of God. The Lord is storing up. A place for us, he's gone, he's made provision for us. We are to be good stewards. We're small, yet extremely wise if we are. Badgers care about their own personal safety and we cooperate with God so that we don't blow ourselves up morally, right? And so uh, locusts have no king, yet they advance together in ranks. The unity of the people of God going out with the commission. We could look at the locusts. And the last one, the lizard, he just hangs in there. And however it happens, you find him inside a royal palace. That's where we're headed. Here we go. One more list and then a commentary. Um, there are three things that are stately in their stride. Four that move with stately bearing. A lion, mighty among beasts, who retreats before nothing. A strutting rooster, a he-goat, and a king with his army around him. And don't think it's all about what you're reading. It's about us, as usual. All right? The, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The confidence that the people of God should have. Let's go through the four. I just grabbed pictures quickly. Come on. He says, the righteous are as bold as a lion. If God is for you, who could be against you? Come on. A little courage, people. A little courage. You're not going to fall apart. God is within you. The next. He says, you know, there's that cockiness. He's not saying, you know, walk around, uh, with pride, but there's something about the strutting of, listen, folks, <laughs> you know, I got God as my father, you know, not as an arrogant thing, but it's just kind of got a swag about life because the one who said, let there be light, made him alive, made that person alive, loves that person. What's the next one? This is a mountain goat that just, just, 
Come on, bring it on. Bring it on. Stately and secure, unshakable. The last one. A king surrounded by his army. We are the army. We have a king in our midst. And he's saying to the people of God, all of those things are reasons. God is for you. He's with you. He's predestined you for crying out loud. He's predestined you. He told you, listen, I'm going to tell you how it ends. You get there. You can't unget there if he's predestined you. You have to get there, and you're going to get there in spite of yourself, in spite of your brokenness. If you're saved, he's filled you with the Holy Spirit, and he said, it's a done deal. I seated you. Past tense. In heaven, can you go about life with a little bit of swag, a little bit of confidence, a little bit of courage, instead of always kind of falling apart and and so afraid of your own shadow? Are you kidding me? That's really the point of the proverb. And lastly, last proverb, if you have played the fool and exalted yourself, or if you've planned evil, clap your hand over your mouth. For as churning the milk produces butter and twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. So I like how he closes out. He says, listen, everybody makes mistakes. But catch yourself. Catch yourself halfway through your silly, foolish plan that's coming out of your proud, arrogant mouth. Just stop. Put your hand over your mouth when the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? This is going to be a disaster. Put your hand over your mouth, stop, and control your words and bring things down. So he says, you got proud, you got self-absorbed, you wanted to take a walk on the wild side, cease and desist. And two metaphors, he says, because if you don't, let me give you a couple metaphors. He says, you know, you churn the milk, you're going to get the butter. You churn the nose, (laughs) you're going to get blood. A bloody nose. And he says, and if you don't stop your foolishness, you're going to get a whole heap of trouble. So just stop. It's never too late to repent, to change your mind, and say, this was a bad idea. Get down on your knees. Clap your hand (laughs) over your mouth. Or lift your hands off the keys. (laughs) You know, because we do a lot of damage that way too. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for so much to think about tonight. So many things, Lord, that apply to us and encourage us in our walk. So we ask your blessing now to apply these truths. Help us to remember them and live them out and recall them when we need them in life. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.